Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio where we're talking baseball. Kind of whenever. Really kind of whenever. Really uh, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there across from me, as you know, as you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing very well today. We got a very, very large part of the show yes. that uh, we have not addressed because we have not been in here for a week. Uh, we were kind of busy on Sunday and that kind of just, our plans just kind of ended up falling into Monday. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's going to be a Thanksgiving feast of podcasts yep. of baseball uh, dialogue. Being... This is like, this is like after trade deadline day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know, after like the most eventful Mm-hmm. trade deadline of our lifetimes um but yeah this one is basically uh, like we would have recorded monday but there was there was too much going on monday like it would have been it, it wouldn't have been uh good if we were just recording during like white Sox astros yeah <laughs> you can't do that uh it, everything would just be outdated um so the only way for us to not be outdated is to record uh you know when things are going when less things are going on and uh that is happening here on thursday afternoon here at Springfield College. Um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I think the hottest subject of them all, um, something we both of us certainly did not expect, Red Sox win over the Rays in four games. Um, I mean, do we want to go game by game here? Because, I mean, game one... I think we should just start with just the overall... Yeah. Like, I, like you know what happened. Right. Like, we'll talk about the big moments, talk about takeaways from the series... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what we should do. Um, so, uh, but you know, after game one, you, you're th- you're seeing you're seeing what's on the television screen, and you're like, this this makes sense. Yep. This seems to be the direction things are going. Shane McClanahan has a great five innings. Uh, the bullpen shuts it down. Uh, Erod did not have a good start, and uh, it kind of set things up poorly for uh, for the Red Sox. But it, it ended up that they didn't score any runs anyway. Then the next night. Uh, in the first inning, Red Sox score a couple runs. We're like, all right, well, you know, things are looking a little different. And then Chris Sale gives up five runs. He gives up. I just want to reiterate, Chris Sale has the bases loaded for Jordan Luplo, guy who kills lefties, only in the lineup because he's facing a lefty. Mm-hmm. Only that, That's the only reason. Sale throws a fastball for a strike, throws another fastball for a strike, each of them at like 94. Like he did not have his velocity. On 0-2, he throws another fastball. And it gets crushed for a grand slam. Like, I just, I cannot understand the pitch process there. You have your Chris Sale, you have that slider, it's 0-2. You're facing a guy who kills lefties and he threw another 94-mile-an-hour fastball, the third straight one of the at-bat. I didn't understand that one at all. Right. Um, yeah, I, logically, it, it didn't make too much sense outside of the only justification I could have in my head is if, uh, you know, I don't know who's who's exactly calling it. I don't know if the coach is calling it or if it's only Vasquez, but uh, I'm wondering if Vasquez thought, you know, 
Luplo has to be sitting breaking ball here, so we're not going to give him breaking ball. However, um, I mean, most hitters sit fastball anyway, and uh, clearly that was what was happening with Luplo when he gave up a – and Luplo had his grand slam, and it was like, all right, well, I mean, I, I didn't imagine the Red Sox were going to reach five runs that game. No. Um, but they very well did. They did that and a whole lot more. Yeah, they got to 14. They had five home runs. That was the, that was the most they've hit in a playoff game as a franchise. Yes. That was pretty dope. Um, what a Kike had a Kike had a five hit game with I think five extra base hits. Um, or something yeah. like that. Uh, I'm, I have to look at. I think he had four extra base hits. My okay. T- he had the only game in postseason history with five plus hits, three plus doubles, and a home run. Wow. Uh, so that was pretty big uh, from from Kike's side of things, and uh, I believe Bogarts had three hits jd had three hits uh both of them had home runs as well mm-hmm. uh it was crazy unbelievable uh, i just learned kike hernandez led the red sox in b-war it, it makes sense it's very crazy he tied with xander but still right um, i would never have expected that one yeah i guess uh it makes sense given that like bogart's his his defense detracts him and kike's mm-hmm. kike's uh yeah. defense makes him better yep um so it, uh, in that sense, the wins above replacement thing makes a little more sense. But, uh, yeah, they score 14 runs. And this leads to one of my takeaways with the Rays is I think, uh, you know, after after it happened, we didn't realize the impact it really had. And uh, that is not WB Mason. <laughs> That's just a van. That's just a random van. Oh, yeah, it's the Springfield Republican. So yeah. shout out. Shout out to the Springfield Republican. They're uh, delivering their newspapers uh, that I will be delivering later on today. Cool. Um, but it leads to my takeaway. I think after it happened and how the Rays fared in the regular season is there it goes again. With how the Rays fared in the regular season, we didn't realize its impact and how it would lead into the playoffs. But not having Tyler Glass now, uh, I think it really affected the Rays in this series because – there wasn't really a, a starter you could rely on. Maybe Shane, Shane McClanahan. Yeah, but, but there he got wasn't rocked in Game Four. Right, and there wasn't there wasn't that heartbeat. There wasn't that super reliable guy like Tyler Glass now that you could have um, in the playoffs, which kind of hurt them. It did. You know, starting pitching was, you know, they were they were playing down early in a lot of games. You know, I mean, even if they came back in the second game, like they had to play from behind uh, at first before the grand slam. You know, like right. game game three, they were down three to two in the fifth. Game four, they were down five to nothing in the third inning. Like they were put in holes pretty immediately in games. Every game except for game one. Right, exactly. And you know, I guess it leads into the cliche things. Is you know they have a they had a very young staff. I believe they were the second team in postseason history to start uh, two rookies back to back or some something like that. <laughs> Would make sense. Shout out to I think it was Jared Parker and Tommy Malone or something like that. <laughs> I forget. In like the 2012 ALDS, that was hilarious to yeah. see. Um, speaking of uh, names yeah. you haven't heard of in years, yep. Um, even though Tommy Malone's still active, um, but yeah, I think uh, and I guess if you want to go way far back, it's it reminds you of the impact of losing guys like Snell and Morton. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not having the reliable starters and. Uh, Maybe it affected them more in the postseason than we would have thought it would. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, there's a lot of things you can point to. I mean, like, 
I think the team as a whole got too ahead of themselves. Like mm-hmm. I saw, I'm sure you saw that headline where like they ordered champagne to Boston after game one. Oh uh, yeah, I, I saw glimpses of that. Yeah. yeah, there's also that thing about I think the the Red Sox like they do this thing where they they take any random thing, and they like just take offense to it and like. It might not even be something offensive, but it just makes them play better. And, you know, if it makes it play better, than you do you. But the whole thing about, like, what was it, Randy Rosarena and Nelson Cruz eating popcorn in the dugout in game one? Yeah. Like, that's literally not offensive at all. That's just... That's yeah. Just, <laughs> just guys being dudes. Yeah, just guys being dudes having a snack, you know, during the game. Uh, the Red Sox, like, multiple players were like, we didn't like that. And, I mean, they never lost a game after that, so I guess I can't, you know, who am I to... Who am I to say who cares about that? Because it clearly makes them play better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at their uh, 2018 sweatshirts. Hashtag do damage. Yep. It's because of a Brian Cashman quote, obviously. Uh, as In July, he said, uh, talking about the upcoming Red Sox-Yankees series, he said, uh, you know, we... We do a lot of damage against them. We do a lot of damage against them. <clears throat> Sorry for the uh, October sniffles that yeah. I might be having. Um been going around. Yeah, I've been going around, uh, especially in uh, the house that we live in, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, anyway, uh, what's going on? So yeah, game two, uh, Red Sox win fourteen to six. That was pretty surprising, and it, I, I definitely had more confidence in the Red Sox after that, because uh, you have Eovaldi going in game three versus Drew Rasmussen. Uh, Eovaldi goes five innings, two runs allowed. Uh, Rasmussen goes two innings, three earned runs allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of leads into th- into the thing of, you know, not really consistent starting uh, pitching, um, which I didn't think it would affect them as much as it ended up doing. Um, I mean, I feel game three there was so much that happened. Like, where do we even start here? The fact that we were there. Yeah, we were there. <laughs> yeah, we were in the building for for game three. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you want to start with? I, I like. I think the story of the game, outside of the obvious, was Nick Pavetta. Yes, that was such a huge outing. He went four. First of all, the Rays had twenty strikeouts in that game. They had ten hits. They were the second team in postseason history with twenty strikeouts and ten hits in a game. Uh, the Red Sox also induced forty swings and misses. That was the most a team is, or the second most a team has induced in a in a playoff game in the pitch tracking era. So that goes back to two thousand eight. The only game that someone had more strike more swings and misses in a game was when Garrett Cole had the fifteen strikeouts against the Rays. So it was against the same opponent as well. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty insane and. I don't know why it happens. I don't know if it's just plain old luck, but when when a regular starter relieves for Alex Cora in the playoffs, mm-hmm. it just works out perfectly. It does every single time. I have no idea why. I, I, I want to go back to some game logs with like 2018. I, I didn't... Uh, like Rick Porcello in game one of the ALDS. Yeah, Rick Porcello went uh, two-thirds of an inning not allowing a run in game one. Um, I don't want to, you know, go through every single game but uh you know game game four of that series chris sale comes in i believe he had one scoreless inning um eovaldi's bullpen uh bullpen uh travels is well documented yeah as you know in the world series he had uh he had two two one inning scoreless outings 
then six innings of one-run ball uh, in a game he ended up losing, uh, unfortunately for him. Or, or yeah, six six innings of one earned run ball mm-hmm. with Eovaldi. So, I mean, I feel like if you – and then, yeah, obviously Tanner Houck had a great game two. Uh, that was that was pretty huge because, uh, uh, I mean, it, obviously it helped them win the game, but it helped save some bullpen arms as well. And then Pavetta – Four scoreless innings. I feel like if you broke it down, like Red Sox starters in bullpen situations under yeah. Alex Cora, I feel in like the, the ERA, ERA would be like under one. It probably is. Like yeah, like the only times I can think of someone giving up runs was like the the Avaldi walk off home run to Max Muncy. Right. I think Tanner Houck gave up one run. Tanner Houck. Yeah. But and Tanner Houck, like he's not like a defined starter. Right. Like that's he didn't true. start a game that like he came out of the relief. That was another story in game two. Tanner Houck. Uh, retired, I believe, 11 straight batters or something like that. Um, I'm not exactly sure. But he, but I mean, he had a we could look at nails it. outing uh, to to take to relieve Sale from the second inning through the fifth or sixth. Yeah, and it made and it made it so mm-hmm. the bullpen it made it so you didn't have to give guys like I don't know Robles, Barnes, Martin Perez, Martin Perez, uh, like multiple innings and exhaust them. Yeah, because we know. The postseason can be very strenuous on yeah, every inning matters. relievers. Yeah, Tanner Houck, five innings, two hits, one earned run, five strikeouts, no walks. It was brilliant, yeah. Yep, great. Um, and, yeah, back to game three. Nick Pavetta was awesome. He went four innings, seven strikeouts, one walk, mm-hmm. and three hits, and uh, just perform- and brought it to a new level when it was a high-leverage situation. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, I feel like he had an inning-ending strikeout every time in that in those extra innings, uh, and yeah, the crowd was electric, electric when that happened. Yeah, he had like he had three inning-ending strikeouts, and like they were all swing strikeouts, so it's like it gets the crowd going. Exactly, You're going into a potential walk-off situation. And then on the flip side, the Rays went one for nine in sc- in, with runners in scoring position in that game, uh, which is uh, not ideal in a playoff game. They went one for nine with runners in scoring position. And uh, finally, you get to the 13th, and uh, it's the bottom part of the order. I'm thinking in my head, you know, maybe in the bottom of the 14th we get something going. Mm -hmm. But bottom of the 13th, Renfro gets on via a walk, and then Vasquez uh, takes a fastball that ended up being right down the middle and puts it over the monster, and it's Red Sox win. Yeah. Just one of one of the great and one of the greatest moments of our lives. It absolutely was. We were both. I didn't think it was gone in person. I was like, that could be off the wall. That could make it second and third, one out for Christian Arroyo. And right now, it just kept carrying. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's so electric when you're there, and I think that's uh, something that's going to factor. What's going to factor into the Red Sox Astros series and any future Red Sox series this uh, upcoming. Uh, postseason it was crazy how much the momentum swang there like I didn't even like I knew in the back of my mind the series wasn't over yet but normally that'd be in like the front of my mind right like in 2018 after that happened I would have been like like my first thought would have been like okay now we got to win tonight right right and what I think the the Fenway Park on both game three and game four it seemed was just on a new level, yeah. it seemed. It really was. It was loud. Like, higher than... At, at this point in the ALDS in, like, 2018, it didn't It didn't seem like didn't seem like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, you know, Red Sox ended up doing okay. But, like, the crowd was crazy. I think that might have a little bit of a factor in the up, in any upcoming Red Sox postseason series, um, which is uh, good 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 to see as Red Sox fans. And, uh, and yeah, so then game four, um, third inning, Red Sox offense goes off. They get five runs. Um, and a uh, little, little stat nugget for the people at home. The Red Sox had the highest average exit velocity of all the playoff teams uh, thus far. Their average exit velocity was 91.5 miles per hour in that series. The next, uh, the next highest was at 89.4, which is a pretty, uh, pretty hefty difference there, yeah. considering you know average exit velocity. Um, so yeah, the Red Sox offense really brought it to the table. They hit 341 that that. Uh, in that series with a 915 OPS, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like, so what, what would be, what would you say was more of a surprise Rays pitching or Red Sox offense? I think it has to be Red Sox offense. Yeah. Um, the, like they came into a series where, you know, the Red Sox were the heavy underdogs in the series. I think that's why you gotta, that's why you gotta label them as the most surprising thing. You know, they weren't expected. First of all, they weren't expected to be in this position at all. They were supposed to be on their couches by now, if right. you were to ask anyone in March, and to come in and just, you know, just eliminate any expectations had, and then to take down a team like the Rays that were so heavily favored, and also like the Rays, they played very well against the Red Sox this year. You know, I know that the season series was eleven to eight, and the Red Sox did have some, some games that they should have won there. But the, regardless, like, I mean, it was so. I mean. They came in and beat a team that they weren't supposed to beat, and they dominated on all fronts, really, except for pitching in the first couple games. Right. And offense in game one. Right. Um, I think Ray's pitching was a little surprising, but, I, you know, it was. If you told me that Ray's pitching would be struggling, I would say it was. If you were to give me uh, names to name, it would probably be those guys in the starting rotation, not the not the bullpen guys. Because the bullpen. bullpen uh, I think did pretty okay with the with the Rays. I'm not. Uh, I didn't get all the numbers on them, but uh, I, I mean, game two, everyone on the Rays pitching staff kind of blew yep. it. But outside of that, Rays bullpen wasn't really wasn't really the issue going on. You know, in game in game three, they only allowed up until the 13th inning. It was one run allowed in uh, 11 innings. Which is mm-hmm. crazy, and it ended up just being three runs allowed in eleven innings. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, the Red Sox won it. Uh, they ended up with the sack fly to win the game, um, and I think uh, I think it re- I think what this series also reminded us was how good of a manager uh, Alex Cora is, because you know he util- he he's able to utilize those regular starters as bullpen guys very well, and uh, it. It worked out for it worked out for him very well in both game two and game three. The one thing I would say is, I mean, you probably didn't even have to blame this on Cora, but like, I mean, sheesh, that Ryan Brazier appearance in game four, right? Like, go like Whitlock bailed him out, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Because like I did mention Ryan Brazier, I didn't mention this on air, but I mentioned in person. Ryan Brazier is has a has, has had a very uh, Gantian season, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, meaning he gives up a lot of base runners but doesn't allow a lot of runs. Which you know isn't supposed to be sustainable. If I can get some, 
just quick numbers on him here. Right. Um, his like, I think he had like a one five. Let me see. He had a one point five ERA and a one point three 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 FIP, or WHIP, and he had a one fifty ERA, a four eighty four FIP. Uh, only six point eight strikeouts per nine, three walks per nine, one point five home runs per nine. So I mean, you know, on the surface it looks good as an eighth inning guy, but you know I think he kind of you know he obviously imploded uh, in game four in the eighth inning, but yeah, no doubt, you know it worked out anyway. But I mean that is definitely something that the Red Sox should be more cautious about going forward. Right, and uh, one thing that Cora might get blamed for, but he shouldn't get blamed for, was. Uh, having Hansel Robles in in game three. Robles had not allowed a run. Yeah, no, absolutely. Since August 29th mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. what was around 15 innings. Yep. I think what happens is you get a first impression of a guy, and that's your image of him in your head, even if he does well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's the Hansel Robles thing. The The two runs he allowed on uh, in game three – were the first runs he allowed since August 29th. So that's all you really have to say about that management decision. Um, and I think what also should be considered with the Red Sox bullpen is, you know, they did win, the team won, but it's still not it's still not very deep. Uh, so you kind of have to go with what you got. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really that many uh, shutdown options out of the bullpen outside of maybe Garrett Whitlock and whatever starters you have, Yeah. Um, unfortunately. So... Uh, is anything more on the Red Sox Rays series? I think Tampa just got a little too ahead of themselves. You know, I feel like they kind of, you know, obviously I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not there, so I can't tell you anything. But it really felt to me like they kind of just carried themselves like they were the team that won it. And the reality is like they, you know, they went to a World Series last year in a season that many argue doesn't have much integrity. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, there, there's very fair reason to believe that because they went on the road this year where there were fans cheering against them, which, of course, was not the case. I would like to remind you, uh, the, Ast- the Rays, you know, they've had this run for the last three years where they've made the playoffs every year. They've never won a road playoff game with fans. That's correct. Except for, except for the wild card game against the A's. But that was when you had Charlie Morton. Yeah. And that was the only, that's the only one. Yeah, and... I remember that that game. I don't really remember much noise out of the. Out of it the was Coliseum. weird. They they talked about how the A's like sold like seventy thousand tickets, and it, it just didn't like. First of all, Yandy Diaz had a first inning home run. Yeah, that'll like, do it. It was silenced very quickly. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Rays got a little ahead of themselves. Um, you know, they they won a hundred games this year, but like. Yeah, again, as you as you mentioned, they haven't been able to win on the road against against fans. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something uh, something to consider there. Uh, just haven't really been able to perform well in those types of situations. So I guess we'll factor that in uh, mm-hmm. if they make it to the postseason next year. Yeah, I mean, that is something that I think a lot of people should consider. Like we talked about, we'll get into the White Sox next. Um, we talked about how they struggled to play against you know, high quality teams this year, the Rays might be in that same boat for playoff games on the road. Right, right. They they very well could be. Um, all right, so you did you did preface Astros White Sox. So yeah, White Sox Astros starts in Houston. Uh, Houston ends up winning 
these series in four games. And uh, I don't know, it, you know, from, from game one on, it just always seemed like the Astros series to win. Yeah, I mean, I made a last-minute decision to go Astros in five, and after game one, I was like, wow, I so shouldn't have given the White Sox two games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah, like, it was uh, interesting to see the White Sox starting pitching just kind of not not really be there. Even Giolito wasn't, yeah. wasn't really that, mm-hmm. that, that good out there. I would like to say... We've gone through a lot of different emotions with the Astros over the last two years. Like, I, I I have to appreciate them. I really do. Right. Like, they've proven everybody wrong. They've proven that they can do it no matter what the circumstances are. And, I mean, they're going to their fifth straight ALCS. They scored 10 runs in a road game, in an, in an elimination road game, against uh, a guy who was favored to win Cy Young midseason. And I get he was hurt. And I'm sure that was definitely a factor, but the guy still had like over 12 strikeouts per nine. Exactly. And a two like mid two ZRA. Yep. Um. So yeah, like he, he's he was definitely no slouch coming into that game. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to look at some uh, runners and scoring position stats on the Astros game, because I mean, what what really stood out to me was how they were able to string heads together and make some big innings because, mm-hmm. um, that was something. Uh, th- that was something I would argue we weren't really seeing out of any of the teams outside of maybe the Dodgers in Game Two, yeah, and the Red Sox in Game Two and Game Four, I guess. So, but like, we certainly weren't seeing it out of the White Sox, no, uh, outside of maybe Game Three. But the the way they were able to just keep the line moving was uh something something that's pretty dangerous in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Um. Just to go on a White Sox tangent here, a lot of people didn't give Tony La Russa a chance, and I get it. And I think, I mean, the reality is I don't think you can blame a manager when you lost games by the scores of 6-1, 9-4, and 10-1. Like, right. like, there's really nothing a manager can do in that case. But there was something wrong that Tony La Russa did in each of their losses. Like, game one, shouldn't have started Lance Lynn. You and I went over before the show. Uh, his fastball numbers, the Astros, you know, numbers against fastballs, and the fact that he just doesn't fare well against the Astros. If you're gonna start him, you know, you have to start him. He's one of your best pitchers. You do it at home. You have him go game three. That's yeah. what I would have done. Uh, game two. This was probably the biggest offense, where it's a four-four game. He brings in Aaron Bummer, and Chris is Chris has talked a lot about Aaron Bummer on this program. <laughs> I talk about how he is a negative ten average launch angle against, which means. If Aaron Bummer is coming into the game, expect ground balls. Not even expect ground balls. Assume ground balls. Yes. Yeah. Like, you can't, like, not, like, just understand that it's going to happen. What does he do? He doesn't shift the defense. He puts the defense in the normal positioning. What do the Astros do? They hit three straight ground ball singles up the middle. They hit three straight ground ball singles up the middle against the guy where you're assuming it's going to be a ground ball. You're not just expecting it. And... If, later on, it's a 9-4 game, and Liam Hendricks comes in. Like, congratulations, you've brought your best pitcher into a 9-4 game. You could have brought, in, brought him into a 4-4 game and still had a closer in your bullpen because that's the luxury you have with this bullpen is that you have two legit closers and a bunch of others. You have an MVP candidate in your bullpen that isn't one of those two closers. You have Aaron Bummer that you can use later. You had Liam Hendricks to use in a 4-4 game, and you used him in a 9-4 game when the game was over. Right. Yeah, It. It. he just looked... Yeah, Larusa didn't look like he was making 
the right decisions. And by the way, Astros in that series hit 378 with runners in scoring position. And uh, overall in the year, they led the league in average with runners in scoring position. Yep. So they they have those types of players that are just going to keep the line moving. And yeah, uh, yeah, the bummer situation was hilarious. Uh, he... Uh, he faced four batters, and uh, he had a batting average against of 750. And on Savant, the expected batting average against uh, with him was 195. Right. So <laughs> he should like less than one hit was expected, and there were three hits allowed <laughs> um, from that uh, from that whole scenario. And yeah, like it's because Larusa didn't shift the defense. Like you put three, you put an infielder up the middle every time. That's that's a one two three inning, Chris. Yeah. It, let, let me check how many runs scored that inning, but it literally was a 1-2-3 inning because it was the first three batters of the inning that came up and all hit ground ball singles up the middle. Right, right. Um, I don't think any of them had a launch angle above five. I think I think it was seven. Seven. Alex Bregman had a seven, I believe. They scored five runs that inning. Yeah. yeah they, that was the, it was 4-4 four to four in the bottom of the seventh, and that, and that happened. And you know what? It was very fitting, given the broadcast we were given for that game, that that was the coaching style. Oh, yeah. Do we want to get into we, that? We need to get into that because, I, oh, my God, you have a list of, of names. Yeah, and this is only halfway through the game, by the way. Yeah. It was a 4-4 game, and this broadcast with Bob Costas, Jim Cott, and Buck Showalter, who have a combined age of 216. Yeah, so that's an average age of 72? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, so yeah, uh, some names mentioned through the fifth inning as once, uh, Brewers Braves came on, we abandoned that broadcast. Unfortunately, we could not take it anymore. Yeah. And we turned on, uh, old Donnie O, uh, one of the best broadcasters out there, but some names mentioned, uh, obviously when you're talking, when, when you got, when you have a game that features the likes of Michael Brantley, uh, you know, Carlos Correa, who's going to be making a lot of money on the market, you know, Jose Altuve, a former MVP. You got Lucas Giolito out, out there on the mound, a very good big game pitcher. He's gotten Cy Young votes in the past. Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, batting champion Yuli Curiel, Yasmani Grandal, former MVP Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez. So much star power on the field right now. And who are we talking about, Chris? We're talking about Brooks Robinson. Sparky Anderson, Burt Blylevin, Ted Simmons, Bob Euchre, the player, not the broadcaster. And lastly, of course, I mean, how do you how do you watch a 2021 game without making a reference to Connie Mack? Uh, it's just, I mean, especially it's in a game, especially in a game between Houston and Chicago. Yes. Where Connie Mack had many ties to. <laughs> yeah. That's totally where he managed for 50 years. Yeah. The Philadelphia A's, uh, the Philadelphia A's manager slash owner. I mean, obviously. Uh, has many ties to Astros and White Sox. Um, you know, unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> Chris and I, obviously, we love our history talk. We did a 60-episode series about it. But, oh, my God, there's a time and place to bring up Connie Mack's name. Yeah. And that was not it. Yeah, and uh, and it was the the the, the crescendo of yes. all this was um, well, uh, who, who's, who's switch hitting? Grandal, Grandal, right? yeah. I think. Let me just make so sure. So Grandal was facing uh, Valdez. So obviously he was in the he was in the right-handed batter's box, and he was in the left-handed batter's box the day before. So, uh, you know the or no, it was maybe it was Moncada. Um, I f- it, might it was have one. Been, it was one. It was a switch hitter. It doesn't really it matter. It was a who. switch hitter. So, 
Showalter, Cott, and Casas we're talking about. You know, it's it's great to have a switch hitter, a switch hitter out there. And you know, in a modern broadcast, maybe they bring up some splits, maybe they bring up some some modern comparisons. And uh, we, I I look at you, yeah. And I'm like, watch this. They're gonna mention Mickey Mantle. Yeah, and they uh, they go one step further and they bring up the great Ted Simmons, who <laughs> I think retired in 1974. Yeah. Which was uh, 47 years ago. Um, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Through, maybe, it was through the uh, the old timers committee. Maybe, maybe it was 1988. It was 1988. It was 1988. Oh, 1988. Okay, but still, so it's a little more recent. Yeah, a little more recent, but still. Some of re- the like 55 year olds might remember. Yeah, he retired in. Yeah, he retired 33 years ago, uh, and they're bringing him up. Uh, and not only that, but this is a game on MLB Network, which is usually a network that attracts a younger audience because most cable TVs don't have MLB Network. Right. Or they, yeah. Like, usually it's through streaming services where mostly younger people are going to use. So this is this audience was probably younger than most. And I'm guessing Major League ba- like the, the entirety of Major League Baseball has everything to do with who's calling this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was someone at Major League Baseball was like, you know, you know what, you know what we need right now. We need some cot show. We need some Costas cot show Walter uh, experience right now. Yeah, like you know, MLB's done some good things with their uh, YouTube broadcast. We'd mentioned the all woman thing with uh, uh, I know Sarah Langs was in it. We're, Melanie Newman, Lauren Gardner, Alana Rizzo. Yeah, and we're and Heidi Wadney. And yeah, we highlighted uh, Langs because we're big fans of Sarah Lang. So mm-hmm. like, and that's someone modern who can bring some excitement and bring some perspective on some new numbers that you might not be used to. But we're 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 going with we're going with guys who are going to call back, you know, Connie Mack. Yeah, <laughs> and there was probably a lot more too. We just didn't hear him because we yeah. couldn't take it anymore. But I mean, we heard enough. Oh my god, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, like like. Uh, when it was the bottom of the inning and the uh, Astros were already up by five, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, they probably went on tangents. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we they started they started going like episode one hundred and fifty of ARR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where we just named off players you haven't heard of in a while, except with like players except from with like good players and good players. It's like remember Mark Belanger. Yeah, 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 yeah. This guy. I wonder what Mark Belanger's outs above average would have been. Huh. Yeah. Ah, they definitely said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's. We're not even talking about the fact that Jim Cod made a heavily racist comment during the broadcast too. Yeah. We, we don't need to get into exactly what was said, but I mean, like that's that's probably the worst part of all of it. And there's still and so there's much still more to so talk much about. worse because there's so much bad baseball related stuff, not even just like human stuff. Yeah, things that like we we're, we can easily talk about. Yeah. Uh yeah, it was it was pretty unbelievable. <laughs> it 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 became a caricature of itself the broadcast did. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So, uh I mean, I guess going back to game 2, yeah. It, it That's was... what I'm going to remember that game for. Like I'm <laughs> going to remember for Larusa. Oh yeah, by the way, they were obsessed with the fact that Larusa and and Dusty Baker were the two managers in that game. Right. Which so... like Dusty Baker, I don't know why he gets labeled as like an old school baseball guy just because he's old. Like he is very much not that at all. Right. right. Like especially with the Astros, maybe he was a little bit more with the Nationals, and he probably was with the prior teams when it wasn't as well known as it is now. But like he's very much into that with the Astros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned 
um, Carlos Correa's interview. Yeah, like you think you think Tony larusa has got players in his dugout where he's like, hey, look at OPS plus, look yeah. at weighted runs created plus, look at the ballpark we're playing in, right? You know, very hitter friendly. So you got to adjust for that and understand. Like, no, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah. Like maybe players in that clubhouse are doing it independently, but I mean, like I don't think like Dusty Baker clearly has some sort of influence, and maybe AJ Hinch did too, to where Carlos Correa is looking at that. And there's no doubt that many other players in that clubhouse are too. Obviously, this is Dusty Baker's second year there now, so clearly he's assimilated into that culture. Tony Larusa is not there. Right, right, and it, you know we've talked about the mistakes that Tony Larusa made. I can't. There's nothing in my head that pops out about mistakes the Astros were making. No. I feel like their lineup was uh, you know, perfectly strategized and their pitching, uh, there weren't really any question marks brought out there. Maybe it was just their team performance outdid any mistakes that possibly could have been made. I'd say if anything, maybe they left Luis Garcia out there too long in game three. Right. Like that's probably the one case you could make. They let him uh they let him give up five run runs and fun three walks in two and two thirds innings. Yeah, but then again, Yimmy Garcia, you know, he didn't do him any favors. He pitched a third of an inning and gave up four runs. Right. Yeah, and uh, and even with that, like you're more willing to leave a guy out for longer when you're up in a series two two zero. Yeah. I don't. I feel like Dusty wouldn't. That have that would have been that would have been Tony Larusa's fifth worst mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Um, and then going back to game four, you have Rodon out there. Bases are loaded. It's an elimination game. You're up one nothing in the third inning. The bases are loaded. You're putting in Rodon. Carlos Correa is coming up. You have Michael Kopech warming in the bullpen with two outs, and you keep Rodon out there. Like the Astros have hit so well with runners in scoring position. You have a lefty-righty matchup that you are that you are disadvantaged for. You have a righty warming up. You need to get this third out. You need to preserve the lead. You can have Kopech go multiple innings anyway, and you keep Rodon out there. And right. what do you know? He gives up an 0-2... Uh, two-run single to give the Astros the, the lead, which they never, which that was that ultimately ended up being the hit that that ended the White Sox season because they lost ten to one and that made it two to one. Right, exactly. And uh, I'm taking a look at Correa's splits here, platoon splits. Um, pretty similar, but I imagine like with uh, Kopech, you'd much rather yeah, you'd much rather have Kopech out there, and it's not like. A thing where you're, oh, we might send out Kopech too early. He's a guy that can eat up innings, too. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. He used to be a starter. Like, you could have gone, you could have had him go get maybe seven outs. Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, uh, I feel like I've seen Kopech two and a third lines plenty of times this season. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, that LaRousse has done um, this season. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... With Larusa, it's like we already thought he shouldn't have been a manager. We we knew he shouldn't have been a manager. I don't even want to say thought. Like yeah. it's like I don't want to give ourselves too much credit for being like, well, we didn't think. Like we knew. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, normally, normally, like after something like this, you might fire a guy like Larusa. But you know, I don't. Given how he was hired, I don't think that's going to be happening. Michael Kopech ended his regular season by pitching three innings. In t- in his last two appearances, one of them on two days rest, one of them on three days rest. Um, so yeah. you you can't tell me you could have gotten gotten him for seven outs. Right, exactly. Um, do we want to uh, eulogize the White Sox or or even go back to the Rays? Because usually we do uh, 
a little uh, eulogy on each team. I feel like we should just save that. Like we have a lot to get into today. We yeah. can we can get into that in the off season. Yeah, we can. Uh, I would agree. Um, so yeah, Astros win in four games. Uh, they seem to have it in control mm-hmm. for most of that series. This is going to be a legit ALCS matchup. Uh, it will, especially given a, a new development we had with a, a certain starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into that. National League Division Series, uh, by the way, uh, this is we are not going to be including any Giants-Dodgers talk, as that will be for episode 156 and a half. What the? Where we are going to be... Um, we have some breaking news All right. on that exact game. Perfect time you bring that up. So Julio Arias was supposed to start this game. Uh, the Dodgers just announced that... Corey Knable will start game five tonight. Huh. Uh, I'm assuming Arias is hurt. Yeah. Maybe, are they going? Or maybe they're... I, well, you know what? I wonder if Roberts... I haven't seen any reports on him being hurt. I wonder if they're going to have Knable go one and then throw Julio out there to a lefty lineup. Potentially. Although I feel like... if there's no, But like if there's no reports of... I feel like Kapler would know better than to... Yeah. Put it all his eggs in one basket. Okay, hold on. Let me let me look at if Julio Arias is hurt. Um, yeah, that's a good Because I feel like this is something that Kapler would easily see through because Corey Knebel realistically isn't going more than two innings. Exactly. Yeah. Um, He's not okay, Alden Gonzalez can confirm Julio Arias is not injured, so it looks like that is the plan. Um Okay, yeah, so he's gonna be an opener to Julio Arias. Like that's already being reported. What a weird Strategy by the Dodgers in a winner-take-all game. Let's take a look. Like, are they gonna? I think I think the Dodgers are gonna try to win this game in the first two innings, which is very. Let me look at Logan Webb's like inning by inning stats. I'm doing the exact same for <laughs> yeah. Julio Urias. Yep. Uh, <laughs> because like that, the only way it would make sense if it would be if Urias had like a six ERA in the first inning. Yeah. But I mean, he did fine in his last first inning. He did great in his start overall. Logan Webb has a 3.81 ERA in the first inning, a 0.069 ERA in the second inning, a one. He has a 5.84 in the fourth in the fourth inning, and then also a 1.35 in a third of an inning pitched in the eighth. But who really cares? Arias is just consistent down the line. If, if you go inning by inning, with ERA, 309, 309, 338, 225, 203, 530 for sixth inning. Hmm. Well, ch- catch me on a. Dave Roberts pregame press conference. Yeah. Because I would love to hear the explanation for this one. Right. Um because this is, you know if if this, this goes awry, this is very bad for Dave Roberts. Uh not that he's gonna like lose his job or anything, but it's like what's going on here, man? Corey Knable, let me oh well, let me look at his numbers like against the Giants. Because this is I mean, this is a developing story. Yeah. Um so I guess I guess we are talking a little Giants Dodgers because this is crazy. Well, this is not. This was not supposed to happen here. This is not supposed to happen at all. Um, But we're gonna get more. We're gonna talk about Game Five and the entire series tonight, uh, and release that Friday morning slash afternoon area, Mm -hmm. and uh, preview the NLCS, which will be between the Braves and the winner of this game tonight. Um, And uh, we're about to get into. Braves, Brewers. Yeah, um, so Corey Canable's pitched two innings against the Giants this year. 
They were two shutout innings with two strikeouts and no walks. So, like, all the peripherals are looking good, but it's two innings. He also allowed two hits. Interesting. Um, really weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like they're just trying to get a strong start where, like, I think they know that the, you know, I think... Maybe people will see this as like a bait for the Giants to put out a left-heavy lineup and then Julio Arias comes in, but I think Kapler's going to see through that and just put out the regular lineup that he was planning to put out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get it. And I don't know, maybe they're trying to get like a 2-0 lead in the second inning or something. Yeah, I've, I've, I have really, yeah, I couldn't explain it. Nobody, I, nobody, I don't even have a theory for it. Nobody is happier than Brian Kenny right now, I just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. It's like even the Dodgers with their developed... Developed rotation or going bullpenning or opener here. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Pretty, pretty crazy there. Um, so, yeah, we got Corey Knable starting. Yeah. Jay Jaff just put out uh, that, like, Arias actually has, like, a slight reverse split where the Woba against is, like, 274 to righties or 274 to lefties, 269 to righties, which is, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not that extreme, but. I mean, it's That's not. It's not. Digging. It's not. It's not enough to run with the narrative that right. <laughs> that oh, we we need him to face less of a certain type of hitter. It would be funny if like, po- if this if this fails, and you see in the post press uh you see in the post game press conference with Dave Roberts, it was like, I mean, there's the five point woba difference. Yeah, <laughs> and people are like, what is what is he talking about? <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a reverse split though. Yeah, like, it's, that wouldn't even make sense. He he just saw like reverse split and was like, "All right, we're we wanted this him guy. facing more righties." <laughs> yeah, because he only allows a two sixty nine woba instead of a two seventy four woba. Yeah, obviously, guys. Do you guys even watch the sport? Do you guys look, you know, Daniel Murphy? Do you go to Fangraphs at all? <laughs> Direct quote. Uh, yeah, it's it's wild. Um, so plot twist. If you want to hear us talk about how it transpired, uh, listen tomorrow because that's going to be our our episode 156 and a half yeah uh where we're talking about the dodgers giant series but it would be inappropriate to just talk about uh what happened so far in the giants dodgers series yeah and uh well, and then leave off until like monday yeah well we'll talk about it all tonight yeah we will all right yeah. uh so uh anyway a series that has concluded in four games was braves brewers uh the Braves uh, dropped game one. They won the rest of them. Uh, what what are our takeaways from this uh, from this series? You know, I was very worried about the Brewers' offense, but my God, did I underestimate how <laughs> just how detrimental they were to the entire team this year? Yeah, like they scored they scored uh, two runs in the first twenty seven innings of the series. Right. Actually, I think it was even more than that. Uh, let's see. Or twenty six. Thirty. They scored two runs in the first thirty innings of the series. Right. Um, did they not score? And when did they score in the fourth inning? Eighth inning. Uh, Wasn't it like seventh or eighth? Wait, in the in game in four. Ga- in game one. Oh, they scored. Oh yeah, they scored in the uh, fourth. Okay. Well, they got I think it's twenty. I think it's twenty nine because they only uh, hit eight innings in game one. But anyway, I mean twenty nine. Oh, that is crazy. A, yeah, that's a good point. But but still, twenty nine innings. Inning, yeah. Two runs in twenty nine innings is absurd yeah that can't happen on any circumstances yeah <laughs> that's that's a guaranteed two loss well actually it's not a guarantee it's a guaranteed one loss because you could you could win two one nothing games yeah correct but st- i mean that's it's, very unlikely 
it's unbelievable. Yeah, he uh, the Brewers in the series in total, including Game Four, where they scored, you know, an average amount of runs for like MLB standard, which is four in nine innings, uh, including that game, two for twenty three with runners in scoring position in the series. Um, unbelievable there. And, uh, I mean, Braves weren't too much better. They were four for 30, but that's four hits yeah. with runners in scoring position versus two. And uh, I think that, yeah, the Brewers overall, uh, if my memory serves correct, they hit 192 with a 527 OPS in the series. Sounds about right. Uh, it was wild. The, p- the perfect microcosm of this series was just how it ended. Christian Yelich comes up as the go-ahead run in the ninth. He watches strike one. He check swings at strike two, and he watches strike three. A three-pitch strikeout where the the one swing was a check swing. He didn't actually swing the bat in three pitches, and he went down. Yeah. That was kind of just the perfect – that was that was everything. It, it, it perfectly exemplified his series. It, it showed the Brewers series on display in one play. That was just a miserable showing all around on offense. Very true. Uh, seven runs in four games is not going to get it done. Um, also, credit to the Braves pitching staff. Um, they had they had three guys with very good postseason resumes. Even even if it, even if their postseason resumes haven't been that long, they had three starters with great postseason resumes. At least from like last year, or the or years before with Charlie Morton. So. Uh, I mean, they did. They went out and did exactly what they should have done, and even even better than that. But also, it's it's the combination there. Yeah, no, it exactly is. I mean, what Max Freed, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton, like they all went out and did what they needed to do. And I mean, Charlie Morton going on what three or four days rest, like you know, he didn't go super long into his outing, but he put the Braves in a position to win the game in an environment where no starters are really going super long. And the Braves bullpen gave up two runs in. Uh, what five and two thirds innings? Um, yesterday. Morton went three and three and a third. Uh, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So I mean, the Brewers, the Braves bullpen did a great job. Will Smith, uh, has, you know, I did point out that he was turning a corner at the end of the season, and he's continued to do that in the postseason. He already had he had three saves in the series. All three wins had a uh, Will Smith saves, and right. none of them really seemed to be super high pressure. That's true. That and is the true. Brewers weren't really threatening. At any point, that is correct. Uh, I'm I'm wondering what the bullpen numbers were for Atlanta. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I imagine. I mean, given the fact that I mean, what did Morton gave up? Morton gave up both of the runs in the first game, and gave up two of the runs in the last game. So then it was. So that means the bullpen gave up two run. Yeah, two runs the entire series. Mm-hmm. Guess that's a well. Wait, did they give up the, the Telez home run? They had to have given up the Telez. No, uh, Morton did. Yeah, he went deep into that game. Yeah, it was the seventh. Oh inning. my god, he did. It was wow. the seventh inning, and it made sense that he was in the seventh inning. He was, he was, uh, he was absolutely slicing and dicing. Yeah, but uh, ended yeah, up. Yeah, you're giving right. Up the they gave up run. two runs all series. Well, wow. um, so yeah, shout out to them. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have expected that, but you know, the guys with uh, guys like Will Smith. Tyler Motsek, AJ Minter, Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson, they really put it together. They did. Um with some of that having to do with just the Braves offense not being able to perform mm-hmm. unfortunately for them. But uh yeah, very very good 
uh, I mean, showing going, by the Braves pitching. So they're going to be going to their second straight NLCS. Um, they're not. They certainly are going to be a much heavier underdog than they were last year to the Dodgers. Uh, yes. But I mean, if they if the bullpen especially can keep performing like this, and the starters can do what they do. Like this team has a very real chance to pull off an upset because they're an 88 win team that's going to be facing a 106 or 107 win team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I guess you just have to consider the the momentum they're riding. If who do you if you're a Braves fan? Who do you root for tonight? Because uh, <laughs> like, if the Dodgers win, you have home field advantage, but you still got to face the Dodgers. And if the Giants win. You know, maybe maybe the Dodgers look more threatening just because of the Dodgers. And you know, the reality is, like, there isn't much of a like the Giants won the division th- this year. There's no really saying they're they're a better team because it is just one game, right? But I mean, they could. I mean, they could prove themselves that way tonight, certainly. But I would you know, like, if if you're a Braves fan, what do you root for here? Yeah, if I were a Braves fan, I'd, I'd probably root for the Dodgers. Um, okay. Just given that. Okay. Given that, uh, you know. You're gonna have home field advantage. Having the first two games at your home stadium, that's gonna be pretty big. Although I guess you know having three games on the road consecutively can also yeah. mess things up. Um, I mean, they didn't even have home field uh, in this last series, right? Um, and also, I mean, I guess if you're a Braves fan, uh, you know you want to get back. You want to get the Dodgers back for last year. I think what you're what you're rooting for. If you're the Braves, is an offensive showdown tonight because then all then you want you want both teams to deplete their pitching staffs. Yes. So every so whoever comes in is gonna have to except for the starter is gonna have to pitch on one day's rest on right. on Saturday. That's what you're rooting for. You're rooting for a ten to nine game. Yeah, you're rooting for some starters to come into in for relief. Yep. And uh, kind of mess things up because like both teams are playing for everything tonight. You know, like no one's. I'm assuming it's all hands on deck. Except for maybe like anyone who pitched in Game Four a lot, like I can't imagine Anthony Discalfani's coming out that door tonight for the Giants. Right. I can't believe I can't imagine Walker Buehler's coming out for LA. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. But yeah, you're rooting for like an 18 inning, 10 to nine game. Yeah, you're... that's like the best case scenario if you're the if you're the Braves. <laughs> yeah, you want Scherzer throwing five innings in relief <laughs> yep. on three days on two days rest, whatever it is. With and uh, who would, who would it be for the Giants? Uh, uh, um. Alex Wood, I guess. Alex Wood yeah. or uh, Gosman. Yeah, you. Oh, want... we got some more breaking news. Oh my God, this is not something I was expecting. Mike Schilt is out. No as way. Ma- manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. This that... that's from Passen. That's crazy. I was not expecting that one at all. Um, you never see a guy who, you never see a team after a team. Has a great comeback. Yeah. In the in the middle of a season, just. I mean, honestly, I think I kind of appreciate this because let's be honest here. Up until September like eighth, the Cardinals were underperformers. Yeah. Like I feel like it's very easy to let a, a seventeen game win streak dictate the the outcome of your entire season. That's not exactly what happened. The Cardinals were a team that was supposed to win the, their division. They didn't, and they were they very easily could have finished under five hundred and missed the playoffs. I think a lot of people are going to look at this through the lens of I can't believe you just fired your manager after a ninety win season, but you know this might be a smart move. I really think that potentially. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure on what Schilt's managing style is it seems maybe a little more old school and maybe the angle to go with is the fact that um is the fact that uh 
you know, I, I think the old guard is changing in St. Louis. They're not going to have Yachty after 2022. And Wainwright, you don't really know the timeline on him either. Yeah. Uh, and then you have... Uh, and we, they have a, a decent youth movement in uh, in St. Louis. They've got Jack Flaherty, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond. Uh, all those guys are like 26, 27 and younger than that. Uh, Tyler O'Neill as well, I forgot to mention. And so maybe they want a younger style of manager, um, you know, the, the Alex Cora type, um, a Will Venable type uh, out there managing for the Cardinals. That's the only angle I can think of, really. Yeah. Uh but it is it is very unique to see. You don't see this a lot. A team come back from like a five and a half game deficit within a month and then just abandon their manager. Uh yeah. It, something uh something's pretty wild there. Uh anything more on the anything more on this firing? It's it's pretty shocking. No. I mean this is I'm kinda just right I'm tweeting my thoughts right now. Uh yeah. Got to be, got to be uh, first to the story there. Internet journalism. Yep. Com two twenty five. Shout out to Kyle, uh, three time guest. Three time guest. I, I wonder when we're gonna have him on next. Maybe the after the season's over. I kind of. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest. Like a lot. First of all, a lot of people are kind of against this. I kind of like this move. Yeah. I do. I think I. It's got. Four, I mean, Jeff Passon's tweet has four hundred sixty one retweets and one thousand quote tweets, which clearly that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many replies does it have? Oh, 354. Yeah. <laughs> um, so clearly, the, the public reaction isn't very good, which I understand because I think a lot of people look at the Cardinals through September. Uh, that's not really, like, for for 80% of the season, they were underperforming. That's correct. Like, let's be honest here. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, and he also put Alex Reyes into a, into a do-or-die game when they could have gotten walked off who had seven walks per nine. Right. Right. Correct. Um, I think I think the, the official – my official take on this firing will be sealed once they hire a new manager. Right. I, I would probably agree with that for, for yeah. my take. Cause like if they, if they double down and hire a shield type, then what's the point? Right. Like I think, I think we're looking at a change of culture in St. Louis. Yeah. I, I wonder if they're like – you know, I really wish Tony LaRusso was back on the market. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, yeah, imagine they're like, Mike Schilt was a little too new school for us, a little too new age. Yeah. We're going to revive Connie Mack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we heard we heard Buck Showalter. You know what? Actually, we're going to bring in Buck Showalter. Yeah. We heard him on that broadcast. We loved it. <laughs> Replicate Ted Simmons behind the plate. Our yes. guy. Hall of Famer. Cardinals legend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it would be funny if they just flipped the script. It's like, yeah, we need, we need some, uh, we need an old, more old guard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, pretty surprising. But neither of us expected it when we were talking about potential firings. Uh, Mike Schilt did, certainly did not come up, but uh, he just, he just got fired. Hear me out, Yadier Molina as a player manager. Oh my God, I would <laughs> love that actually. <laughs> It will obviously never happen, but like that's the one time where like you you could make a case, right? Like I'm, it's only one year. He's already going to be calling signals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who says he? Who says he can't? He's probably got more baseball experience than most people on the manager market. Right, right. He just plays 162 games next year. <laughs> <laughs> Hits third. Yeah. 
The Cardinals are the first team in baseball history with a 88 OPS plus out of their three spot. <laughs> Yadier Molina has been fired, and he's also not playing anymore. Double, yeah, double down. Yeah, it would just be funny to for him to call time, and just from behind home plate, he's just t- tapping his right arm or tapping his left arm. He's like, all right, all right, Jack, we got to take you out, man. Every, everyone's saying he should have won 18 in a row. Yeah. <laughs> fools uh yeah exactly um but anyway away from that breaking news i guess we were already kind of wrapping up on braves brewers uh but uh i mean yeah i, I guess we yeah i guess we already did wrap up there uh do, so now i guess we preview the alcs yeah uh i think the biggest factor here is the fact that lance mccullers jr is likely out of uh mm-hmm. Of the entire American League Championship Series, and that's huge. Like Big. he was, he was nails for them in two games. In that he pitched on short rest in Game Four and dealt. Yeah. After after already dealing in Game One. Right. Uh, that's your ace coming off the team. That's that's a really difficult loss for Houston. Yeah, and I'm uh, trying to see what he did against the Red Sox in the 2018 postseason. I know he came out of the bullpen, but I don't believe he allowed a run. He can't, It was very funny. I remember he, they were like, yeah, it was just announced. He's going to need Tommy John surgery in two weeks, and he's throwing a bullpen pitching in the playoff game. He's like, well, you know what? It can't get worse from here, right? <laughs> I'm already out for next year. Might as well finish up the year as strong as I can, which, I mean, luckily it wasn't that. for him, Luckily for him, I suppose, it wasn't that much of a stretch since... Yeah, he went three innings, allowed one earned run, so yeah. he he was he was whatever. A three ERA. A three ERA against the Red Sox so in the postseason. It's a good. That's like a one forty ERA plus. Yeah, yeah, and he if he can just re, if he could have just replicated that <laughs> for like hundred fifty nine more innings. <laughs> yeah, he he'd be a he'd be you know maybe top seven in the Cy Young vote. <laughs> um, yeah, so McCullers being out. That's that plays a factor. He's he has a very good postseason resume. Um, I feel like it kind of shifts where I think the direction I think this t- series is going to go. Yeah, it's it's it, uh, that's that's very valid. I mean, if the Red Sox are facing Valdez and Luis Garcia in Houston, like I almost f- I feel like the general consensus is going to be that Red Sox splitting is like the bare minimum. Right, especially with. Avaldi going game one. Avaldi, uh, I know that he does have some some home friendly home road splits. Uh, but he, fa- I mean, he's pitched in Houston in the playoffs before. He did very well there in 2018. Yeah. Um, I just the one thing I do worry about though is the Astros. They're also a team that like if you say something, they're gonna do something. Like Ryan Tapera made those comments. Uh, after game three, what do they do? They won ten to one. Avaldi made some comments on a Boston radio show where he was like, "Yeah, like I don't really hate teams, but I certainly don't like them." Ah, uh. which it's like, why would why would you say that? <laughs> why, why why would you say that? Right. Like if you're gonna say it, either say it after the series after you won, or just don't say it if you lose. Like you you are not going to gain anything from saying you don't like them, and they're going and like they've already proven that they can take that personally and and leave it out on the field. Exactly. So. Yeah. That does, I think that there is going to be some sort of factor there because, you know, the Astros hear everything. And, like, they, you know, that we've seen in 2020 and in 2021, they've gone to the ALCS twice. They've proven everyone wrong. And 
they're just like the the move is just don't say anything at this point. It's been two years. Like everyone knows how everyone feels. There's like, you're not gonna gain anything from from being the ten thousandth person to say you're upset with what the Astros did in twenty seventeen. Right. Yeah, you're not exactly uh, being very original there. No. Uh, and to go from a statistical angle with Avaldi uh, versus the Astros, Avaldi's a known fipster, which is a new <laughs> term here at uh, Above Replacement Radio. So that means, you know, high strikeouts, low walks, low home runs. I think I'm definitely watching for the strikeouts there because the Astros are a team that doesn't strike out. That is exactly my point is they don't strike out a lot. They don't necessarily rely on the home run ball. Uh, As we saw against the White Sox, they're a team that that really can string hits together. So that's uh, that's what my concern would be with Evaldi is he's not going to be able to strike out as many guys as he would normally. Um I feel like the Astros also are going to put up better plate appearances and maybe get more walks against him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're putting the ball out of the yard, if they're hitting, you know, hard line drives. You know, if you if you just go batter by batter, when you think of Altuve, you're thinking of hard line drives. Yeah. With Kyle Tucker, same thing. Michael Brantley. Uh, that's, that's what you're thinking of with most guys outside of, like, Alvarez and Correa. Like, those guys are more reliant on the home run. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's the statistical angle I, I think of there. And uh, I guess it can p- be applied to all the pitchers on the Red Sox. Um, and that's why the Astros offense kind of scares us. Yeah, that's that's the good way of putting it right there. Um, the Red Sox have a weird history with uh, game one of the ALCS because they lost it in 2013 and 18. Yeah. And they're they're going to be facing Valdez, obviously a ground ball specialist that we talked about. One of the, one of the biggest ground ball specialists that we've ever seen. Like seventy percent ground ball rate, I think. Negative six launch angle against. By far the lowest of the Statcast era. Minimum three hundred batted balls against. Shout out to the first responders, by the way. Shout out to the first responders, always doing their job out here in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. Got to got to love it. Pull over when they're when they're driving by with their sirens. Or else you get arrested. Yes. Uh, but anyway. Ooh, yeah. Like we mentioned, Cardinals president John Mozeliak said he fired Mike Schilt due to a ph- philosophical difference in the direction of the team. So I think that says that says what we theorized earlier, that they're going to go for something completely different next year. And I think that's the right move. Like, you had a, you had a team that should have done more this year. And right. I if, think you got to change it up. If you weren't going to make that change this year, it was going to be sometime soon after, mm-hmm. probably. Um, so I guess it's an issue they they just killed at the root. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, what were you saying about uh, Red Sox pitching versus the Astros? Um, yeah, basically just like oh, I, I was talking about how Framber Valdez is a ground ball guy. Um, I think he's gonna do his thing. You know, the Red Sox are going to hit a lot of ground balls, and that's not their fault. That's just the pitcher they're facing. Right. Um, and I think I think the Astros are going to take Game One, and the Red Sox are going to take Game Two. All right. All I think right. I think that's how this goes. Um, I feel like a lot of this series has to rely on what Chris Sale we see. Yep. Um, he's likely going to be making two starts in the series unless it doesn't go uh, six games, which I I feel like it will. Um, so he's likely going to be making two starts, and uh, you know, obviously. We didn't see the the right Chris Sale against Tampa Bay. Uh, we've seen his his playoff resume is odd because uh, you know it, it. I 
it's not that good if you just look at ERA, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a, just a game by game basis with him, uh, kind of like it was with Kershaw maybe. Although I would say Kershaw was a little better, um, but Sale, you know, interesting. His as we've mentioned, his fastball velocity is about three miles per hour down. I would say um, on average, so that's a difference to consider. And uh, and what else? I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting for sure. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to get into predictions yet? Let's do it. Uh, we all, I mean, we're already kind of there. Yeah, I I'm kind of going back and forth in my head. The McCullers thing is 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 big is huge. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what that. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have it. I have what I have in my head. I do too. Um. All right. So. It, it's weird because I've all I've done this year is doubt the Red Sox outside of early September when I said they would make it in to the postseason. But I had them in fourth place. I had them losing the wild card game. I had them losing to the Rays. And it feels weird if I just pick them to win now. But uh, I will. Red Sox in seven. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna keep. I thought you were gonna keep with your roots. Yeah, and I feel like if, I feel like if they lose the series, it's my fault. Yeah, but it might I'm, be. But you know what? I have to be consistent here. Uh, I'm going Sox and six. Sox and six. Yeah. Uh, I I think we saw a lot from them in that series against the Rays. I think if they can beat the Rays, they can beat anybody. I truly think that. Um, with with how they performed, Lanth McCullers injury really changes the game a lot. Um. Mm-hmm. And I think that Fenway is going to be a big difference maker. You know that that home field advantage was legit. The Red Sox, uh, they you know they beat the Rays two games out of two. I think a lot of it's going to come down to uh, runners in scoring position, both preventing and uh, producing on both sides of it. And right. I think, uh, and obviously Alex Cora is Alex Cora. And I think um, they've never, I mean, they've never lost a postseason series under his wing. Yeah. So I think the Red Sox are going to win the series in six games. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of factors to put in with this. I probably would have said the Astros won it w- would win it had we had Lance McCullers in yeah, here. Yeah, I probably would have a hundred percent. That makes a big difference. That's two games, maybe even three games that have different results because right. McCullers is out there. Right. Um. And you know, it's not like Lance McCullers is is this uh awesome Cy Young award winning guy. But given how he's performed in the playoffs before, given how he's perf- how he performed in these playoffs, um, I imagine it's a similar impact to the Astros that uh, Tyler Glass now was to the Rays uh, in terms of, you know, the Rays didn't really have a reliable starter. The Astros 2, 3, and 4 guys are better than the Rays 2, 3, and 4 guys, but I, I imagine it has a similar impact. Also, you know, if you look at like bullpen versus bullpen, Astros bullpen ain't great either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Sox bullpen certainly isn't great, but when you add starters in there, makes it a little different. And um, with the Astros not having McCullers, they're probably going to have a potential. What would have been a potential reliever out there as a starter. So that's going to make their that's going to derive from their not only their starters but their bullpen guys. And uh, I do like Alex Cora over Dusty Baker. Um, Alex Cora just not only is he very analytical and pushes the right buttons, but he's been there. He's done that with the, with the world series. So yeah, that's why I'm going socks and seven. I think it's going to be a great series. Absolutely. That we're going to watch here. Yep. Um, <laughs> which it's very funny how just the entire rest of the baseball world is very upset over this series. Like this is both teams have something to avenge. 
Right. It's the it's 2017. It's 2018. I mean, Yankees fans watching this series are just <laughs> they want to go National League. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so brutal. That eh. like Yankee fans having to root for the Astros right now because they're 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 rooting for the Astros over the Red Sox. Yeah. But oh my God, that's horrible. That's horrific. <laughs> and on top of that, there are columns coming out right now saying they are considering keeping Aaron Boone. Right. It's just it's terrible. It's yeah. terrible right now for the Yankees. It's it's brutal out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not good. Um all right, so I guess uh I mean do we have anything more to talk about until tonight? I don't think so, no. Yeah, nine PM Eastern time tonight, Logan Webb, Corey Knable, <laughs> slash Julio Urias. That's gonna be something, for sure. Uh I love I love how bold this is from Roberts. I respect it. I really do. Because I I don't know I probably mentioned this before but you know if Harias gets rocked in the first couple of innings and they lose like a close game like no one's gonna blame Roberts for that right like he's putting it all in his hands yeah and I was res- like that is such a huge risk we've never seen something like this from Roberts no really from anyone yeah I mean the only thing I can consider is I mean we didn't know it was gonna be happening before the game but yeah when uh. Council had Miley go out there for one. That is batter. true. That is true. But that was, I guess that is the one. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, really. that is a valid one. Um. So this is uh, pretty crazy, especially from like if you're if you're a guy like if you're Dave Roberts and you have this Dodgers roster, it's easy to make the simple decisions because it's likely going to work out for you. Yeah. However, he's going with Knable. It's going to be – I'm so excited. That just got me like 10 times more excited for the game. Yeah. I mean, it's going to give us so much more like, we're, fodder. We're, all, we're already getting weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I feel like with, with rosters like the Dodgers and Giants, especially on the Dodgers side, it just would have been easier to have the simple matchup, the mm-hmm. whole regular matchup. But no. The 20-game winner versus – Logan Webb. Logan Webb, who had the, the ground ball specialist, had the first postseason game by a pitcher twenty-four younger with what was it, ten plus, seven plus innings, ten plus strikeouts, no walks. I don't know what I found. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of these things. All right, we hope you enjoyed this one. This nice fat episode for you. Uh, if you are listening uh, or now, if uh, you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. And uh, we have can, so many needs. Yeah. So many needs. You can see our uh, predictions there. For yeah, reference. All the ones we got wrong. The ones we got wrong. The ones we got. The couple sort ones of that right. we got. Yeah. I would say I don't think we nailed any series as far as like. Yeah, the only potential one is if the Giants win tonight. I would get that. That's completely true. Correct. That's true. I did not get Giants in four. Uh, I was close though. You were close. Yeah. They they had the opportunity to win it in four. And like they had some opportunities in that game too. Like it felt when, like when it was like two nothing, it felt what like way more than that. Yeah, it was like odd. all like they had the tie. I think they had the tying run in, at the plate when it was four one in the fifth. Yeah, yeah, that is true with uh, Joe Kelly out there. Yep. Brandon um, Crawford was up. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you uh, tomorrow, where we're going to be talking about the Giants-Dodgers series and uh, previewing the National League Championship Series. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>